0: So, today, as we uh, come to the second to last week, the penultimate, have you ever heard that word? Penultimate? Yes, that's right. Show how fancy I am. As we come to the penultimate, second to last week of our study in the book of Colossians, um, we come to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, and the message entitled Redeeming the Time. Redeeming the Time, and really throughout this, That is the phrase that kind of rises to the surface in the midst of this passage. But really when we look at it too, it's about words. Words mean something. Words matter. We all know a time in our life in which words have really mattered. Uh, Hopefully it's been a time that you can really remember where you have encouraged someone or someone has encouraged you with words spoken in grace. But oftentimes the words that we remember are the words that really cut deep to the heart. Someone has spoken a harsh word to us. Someone has criticized us, and we remember those words. Words matter. And that's what we're going to see today. Words really matter. Words matter. It may be the words lifted up to God in prayer. It may be the words of the gospel that you speak to those that you know that are far from Christ. And it may also be your words of grace to the lost. In any case, words really matter. As a Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, says this, continue earnestly in prayer. Remember, uh, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae there, and he is praying for those that he has gone in. He has planted this church there in, in, the, in the city, and they're seeing great things come from spreading the gospel. And he tells them as he starts this section, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, he says, praying also for us. That God would open to us a door to speak the word. That is the word, of course, of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ, this child that we celebrate during this Christmas season, the child that lay in the manger, he, he would one day, he will one day return to rule the world. But in that intervening time, he went to the cross for our sins. He said that they would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. For which I am also in chains. So, as he's writing this, he is in prison that I may make it manifest as I also ought to speak. And he says in verse 5 and 6 here walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, those who are unbelievers, those who don't know Christ as their Savior, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. God, as we come to your word today, help us to see that words truly matter, whether they be words lifted up in prayer unto you, words of prayer for the lost person, or words to the lost, spoken in grace, God, will we realize again that words matter greatly, and in Christ's name we do pray, amen. The very first thing that we're going to see here in in verse 2 is to pray with persistence, To pray with persistence. Again, he says, continue earnestly in prayer. Earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open up that door that we may speak the mystery of Christ. The very first phrase that we see is continue earnestly in prayer. Sort of putting that in, in sort of modern vernacular, if you will, it would be like don't let go of prayer. Don't let it go. Don't let it slip to the point of last resort, right? Don't let it slip to the point of last resort. If you ever watched cooking shows before on something like the Food Network or Cooking Channel, and they even have them on streaming services like Netflix now, cooking shows, cooking contests, in some of the cooking shows, they might actually have a help button where you can get help from a, a judge or you can get help from a professional. There's a really funny uh, series on Netflix called Nailed It, right? If you ever even seen some of the viral uh, pictures of uh, that go around the internet of someone that tries to recreate a really neat design in baking, and they just get it totally wrong. Well, there's a whole show on Netflix built around this, of where they will have a professional baker bake some professional cake or whatever it may be, and these three amateur bakers that are not very good at all try to recreate it, okay? Here's just one of the examples of this. There's the professional one on the right, on the left, and there is the version of the show on the right, right? nailed it facetiously. They, of course, did not nail it. They came came nowhere close. Well, in this uh, show, like many of these cooking shows, they'll actually have a help button in which if you hit this help button, you can get help from his name is Jacques. He is a a professional pastry chef of over 30 years, and yes, he is French. He is French of over 30 years, and he'll come and help you with your creation. Obviously, he doesn't have a whole lot of time with them because it would have been a little better than that but they have this button that they can hit if it's a last resort. Now, here's the thing. That's good for a cooking show, but that's not what prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is not supposed to be a last resort if you can't figure out things on your own, if you can't solve problems of life on your own. It is not supposed to be a last resort. We are to go earnestly to God in prayer and make it a regular part of our life. He also says, it. Also, another way of speaking of this in sort of modern language might be, be courageously persistent in prayer. Be courageously persistent in prayer. We are to pray with expectation. The Bible tells us that several places. Pray with expectation. It is not a last resort button. It's not something we kind of hedge and say, well, you know, I want to pray for this, but I don't really know if, if God will do this. Now, we're not claiming word of faith movement where if we pray whatever we want to pray, we pray it and God is obligated to give that to us. That's not what we're talking about at all. We pray in the will of God, and we pray expectantly that he will answer prayer. So we we see pray with persistence, continue earnestly in prayer, and he tells them to be vigilant in it, to be watchful. This word is used to speak of like a watchman on a wall, a guard set upon a wall. We don't see this type of warfare much in our modern day, but in the ancient days in the first century, you very much saw this. You would see uh, these stone walls, and they would have watchmen on top of it being vigilant, watching for a, a conquering army that might coming, be coming in the distance. Be vigilant in it. We also see this word used in another very important place in Scripture, First Peter five 8. You've probably heard this verse before. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Your enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may whom he may devour. So the devil is trying to trip us up at every stage. If we believe any part of the Bible, we've got to believe that there is an enemy. There is the devil. There is Satan that seeks to thwart us. Now, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, he has lost the ultimate battle in our life. We know that if we have given our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, our life is secure in Jesus. But you know what uh, the devil's next plan in our life is? His next plan, if he has lost... The battle for our salvation is to make us as ineffective for the gospel as possible. Because we are God's plan in taking that same good news of Jesus Christ to the world. So what does the devil want to do? He wants to make us ineffective. Now here's the thing. We're not only to pray that God would protect us from the enemy, but that same type of vigilance. That God tells us to apply to something so important as spiritual warfare, warfare is the same vigilance that he says we must apply to prayer. So here's the thing. It's going to be on the screen. Write this down. When you pray with vigilant expectation, when you pray with vigilant expectation, prayer becomes the solution, not the last resort. Not the last resort. Prayer becomes the solution, not the last resort. He tells them to do this, not only to pray earnestly and be vigilant in it, but he also tells them to remember to be thankful. He says, with thanksgiving. The great story of martyrdom, the harrowing story of martyrdom from 258 A.D., Cyprian, one of the early martyrs of the 3rd century. Um, He was martyred in Carthage, and as the sentence of death was passed down, his words were recorded as this. I heartily thank Almighty God who is pleased to set me free from the chains of the body. Can you imagine that? That man's not crazy. He's not some sort of a lunatic. He's a man that is so enraptured with the Lord Jesus Christ that he knows even facing death, he is going to be set free from the chains of this body and be in the very presence of Jesus Christ. There is always something to be thankful for. Always. Always something to be thankful for. You know, I mentioned uh, leading up to our time of prayer and actually talked about it a little bit today in our prayer time before uh, services began this morning, that one of the interesting dynamics and, and sad dynamics really of this time of the year is it's such a joyous occasion, but what it often does is it reminds us of some sore spots in our heart. A lot of times it does focus around the loss of a loved one because we remember great memories of gathering around uh, the Christmas tree, and we are gathering, uh, speaking of the great stories of, of, of the coming of Jesus Christ into this earth, and we remember times gathered like this in worship services. And so it might be the loss of a loved one. It might be that just things aren't going so well and just sits in juxtaposition of, of the joy of the moment, and of course, the enemy that we know pushes those buttons in our life, but there's still always something to be thankful for. Let me say as an aside, let us be praying specifically for those that we know that might be dealing with great difficulty in this time. Let's pray for them. But even in the midst of great difficulty, like we see here with Cyprian, there's always something to be thankful for. We can be thankful for our own salvation. We can be thankful for, I I was thankful for specifically as I was thinking about things related to the great truths of who we are now in Christ. One of those that I thought about is that boldness that God tells us we can have in Hebrews 4.16 to come before his throne. That we don't have to cower in fear uh, you know, in the presence of some aloof God that's out there in the nether regions of the universe, and we're hoping he doesn't strike us down. But because of what Jesus has done in our life, he tells us that we can now come boldly before him. That's the basis of all of this that we're talking about prayer, that we can come not cowering in a corner and say, God, can you please do this for me? but we can come in a reverent boldness because we know he's our heavenly father that wants to hear from us. And of course, we know one of the great things to be thankful for as well is that not only are we saved, but Christ is in us. Christ is in us. So pray with persistence, of course, with thanksgiving, but pray also for an open door. Verse three, Paul says, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak that mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. For which I am also in chains. So he tells So what we see here is that as important as prayer is in our life, the primary focus of prayer should always be the glory of God in the gospel, those that are lost hearing the good news of the gospel. That's the primary focus. You know, a great story in Prayer Magazine, there's a, a magazine called Prayer Magazine which tells great stories of Uh, of men and women just like you and me that know Christ as our Savior, seeing God doing great things through expectant prayer. And one is an account from a guy named Brandon Bailey. He's a surgical assistant. They didn't name the city. Um, But he, he talked about he had really enjoyed the medical field when he first got into the medical field, but he started to lose his passion. Now, he's also a believer in Jesus Christ that wanted to see God do great things wherever God placed him, whatever circle of influence he was in. So sort of simultaneously, we see that he's wanting God to do great things and he wants to see God move, but he's also sort of losing his passion for the medical field. And on top of all of this, he's transferred to a wing in the hospital that would probably be you know, at the bottom of the list of his choices, places to go. And he said, God, you know, what are you trying to show me here? Give me direction. What are you wanting me to do next? And the only thing that he could hear God speaking to him and saying was, gather and pray in my name. Gather and pray in my name. Gather and pray in my name. That just kept coming to his mind, coming to his heart when he'd pray for God to give him direction. So what did he do? He just took all that he knew to do from the direction that God gave him, and he gathered in, in the name of Jesus Christ to pray. And so what he did is he talked to his fellow employees, spread the word, and he said, okay, before we clock in, 15 minutes before we clock in, we're going to meet outside of surgery room two, and we're going to pray. So they gathered, and over time, a little more gathered, a little more gathered a little more gathered and they had a vibrant robust prayer time there outside of a, outside of a, a a surgery room in a surgical wing and guess what he was transferred to another area and then transferred to another area and then transferred to another area within the hospital and in each of those places he was Uh, blessed to be able to start one of these prayer groups just like this. And after the course of several years, what he saw, he saw more than 10 of his personal friends come to faith in Jesus Christ. You never know what God's going to do when we pray for an open door. Folks, God, God is in the business, and he wants to open doors for you. If you pray expectantly and earnestly, God, give me an open door to speak the gospel with someone. Pray that God give me a breakthrough, you know, like our breakthrough cards. Give me a breakthrough opportunity to pray with someone or to invite them to church. And, and God, give me the courage to do so. Say, God, you know, you know my personality. My, this is a little outside my comfort zone. I'm one that likes to kind of stick in the shadows. I'm one that doesn't, doesn't like to put myself out there. So, God, I have a heart for those around me that are lost and need to know Jesus, but I lack courage. God, would you give me courage? He will answer that prayer, and he will answer that prayer to give you an open door. What is the open door for? To speak that mystery of Christ, to speak that mystery of Christ. Earlier in this book, in this study of Colossians, we heard that great, great verse, Colossians 127, to them, that is those that need to hear the gospel God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is another word for those that are lost, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, not only at this time of the year during this Christmas time do we celebrate a Savior that has come to us. You see, we don't just celebrate that. We celebrate a a Savior that has come and he comes to dwell within us. You know, it might be a decent story to say that there's a God somewhere in the universe who, yes, he's aloof. Yes, we could never really know him personally, but he'll give us mercy. He'll give us mercy, right? We've all sinned. We've all messed up. So mercy, right? That and that alone. That's all we get. That alone would be pretty good, right? To be forgiven and to have mercy upon us for what we've done wrong. But God does far more than that. God does far more than that. During this Christmas season, we celebrate the fact that God has come to us. God has come to us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. God the son, Jesus Christ has come. And again, that little baby that that lay in the manger, helpless baby, was the Jesus, was the son of God. God the son, in fact, who had known no limits but now was limited by flesh in a manger and one day would go to the cross. One day we'd go to the cross for our sins. And if we place our faith and trust and hope in him, if we surrender our life into him, he says that he comes to dwell within us, that great mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Paul says, pray that God would open that door, that we may speak that great mystery. He says, and it is the mystery for which I am also in chains He's praying this for an open door even as he's sitting in prison in shackles. He's not praying that he might be released. He is praying that God would give them an open door to share the good news of the gospel. There's a wonderful story of a Serbian bishop. His name is Nikolai Velimirovic. Look at that. I actually got it. And he was a, a, a Serbian bishop that lived in the 40s. He was a very outspoken opponent of Nazism. And as many were in that part of the world during those days, he was arrested and he was placed in a concentration camp. But in his diary, in his memoirs, he wrote this prayer out unto God. And he said this, listen to this, listen to these powerful words. Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Enemies have driven me into your embrace more than friends ever have. Friends have bound me to earth. Enemies have loosed me from the earth and have demolished all my aspirations in the world. Just as a hunted animal finds safer shelter than an unhunted animal does, so have I. Persecuted by my enemies, found the safest sanctuary, having ensconced myself beneath your tabernacle where neither friends nor enemies can slay my soul. Well, what about that? What about that? in the midst of a concentration camp we think about that context there for paul as well we become almost so accustomed to the fact that he was sitting in prison and at various times throughout his ministry and he was sitting in chains put yourself in that that scenario a first century prison not knowing what the outcome of your life might be sitting in a dank dirty prison shackled And yet, your prayer, your request for prayer to a church that you have planted, is not that I might be released. But yet, he is praying that they might have an open door to speak the mystery of the gospel. Listen to this. Write it down. Going to be on the screen. Even in chains, even in chains, Paul's prayer was not for the release from his own present prison, but for the release of the lost, for the prison of sin and death that's what was on his mind that was on his mind he prayed he prayed for an open door he prayed for an open door and he says in verse 4 that i might make it manifest as i also ought to speak you see he didn't know exactly what his situation was going to be whether he's going to be released at that time or whether he would rot away in that prison but either way he said in whatever situation behind the scenes if you will of what he writes in this phrase is that no matter where I find myself, may, would you pray that God would give me the ability to make the gospel of Jesus Christ manifest? It's the same thing that we should be praying as well. God, would you give me the ability? Would you give me the ability to resist temptation to, to sin? Would you give me the ability to resist the temptation to lash out at my coworkers when everybody else is wanting to do that when somebody makes a mistake? Would you give me the ability to resist whatever temptation it might be to act just like the world and to make the gospel of Jesus Christ manifest? That Jesus Christ, when we surrender our life unto him, not only does he forgive us, but he changes, he changes our life. He changes our life. So we see, first of all, that that words matter as we pray with persistence. Secondly, we see that words matter when we pray for an open door. And of course, we see here as that door is open, Paul is challenging those in Colossae and he is reminding them that their words really, really matter and their conduct really, really matters as they are living in the midst of a lost world. We see that transition from verse 4 to verses 5 and 6 as we see here to speak with grace. To speak with grace. But as we're called to speak with grace, the first thing that we're called to do is walk in wisdom. Verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom to those who are outside. Of course, we know those who are outside is a phrase meaning those that are outside the family of faith, those that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And he says, Walk in wisdom towards those that are outside. What does that mean? It means we need to ask ourselves this question write this down. Does my behavior, speech, and attitude reflect that of Jesus Christ? Does my behavior, speech, and attitude reflect that of Jesus Christ? Are we walking to, walking in wisdom towards those who are outside? Now, here's an example of this. And I already had to give a disclaimer today during our prayer time, during our morning prayer time. So I myself... And Brad, where's Brad? Shores? There he is, right there. Yes, raise your hand. We had to. I had to say, Brad, this is not about you today because we were we were talking today about uh, about getting vocal coaching in soccer and basketball, right? Or basketball and, and baseball in his case, basketball, soccer in my case. And he was kind of confessing that sometimes I get a little vocal, you know. And so I had to say, Brad, I am not, this is already in my sermon. This note is here. I'm not adding this poking at you just because I heard this this morning. But I said, what a great example of this. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Nikki talked to me as I'm preparing my sermon after Saturday morning basketball game. She's like, add this to your sermon, Mason. So I don't take requests by that. by Husbands or wives, if you want to know, I don't take requests the night before to add something in there for your, for your spouse. I don't do that, so I could get myself in a lot of trouble doing that, so just so you know. But uh, we do, I have to think about it, as I coach soccer and basketball, maybe some of you have coached or some of you have led youth activities or any sort of activity, maybe it be a music activity, uh, maybe it be something in fine arts, whatever it may be, any, anything where you're leading others, whether they be children or anybody else you have to think about how are you representing Jesus Christ? For me in this, this uh, time of my life, how am I representing Jesus Christ? Not just as a pastor. By the way, it doesn't, it, this doesn't kick into gear because I'm a pastor. This is important because I'm a Christian, not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Am I reflecting the character of Jesus Christ as I'm leading others, as I'm coaching, as I'm leading at, the, at, at my place of work? Maybe you're leading in your own home. How are you living, and are you living out the character of Jesus Christ? We're to speak with grace, and as we do, we're to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time, redeeming the time. This word redeeming is a very powerful theological word when it's used in the context of salvation. we talked about it many times before. It means to buy back from the slave market of sin. That theological concept in Scripture is that we were dead in trespasses and sins, and we were slaves to sin and death, but God paid that we might be bought out of that slave market of sin, and that price that was paid was none other than the precious blood of Jesus Christ. very powerful word that speaks to buying something out. That same word is used here not in that context, but in the context of buying back our time. Buying back our time, buy back or take control of your time for the good news of the gospel. You see, have you ever been or ever seen in a movie one of those Mid- Middle Eastern bazaars? I had an opportunity to walk through one of those in Jerusalem when I had an, uh, an opportunity to take a trip there many years ago. We went through one of those Middle Eastern bazaars. In fact, I saw sort of a, a, an East Asian equivalent of it as well when I was in Thailand. And that it's just packed. Stalls are packed with many people trying to sell you things out in front of the stalls or coming up to the stalls. And it is like a sensory overload of colors and sounds and smells and just anything and everything that you might want to buy. What do you have to do? You have to be wise about buying from all of those choices. In the same way, redeeming our time means that we have to be very wise about what we buy with our time from the bizarre, if you will, of life choices. There's tons and tons and tons and tons of things that we can spend a limited resource upon, which is our time, 24 hours in the day. There's a, very, uh, there's a, a proliferation of things that we can spend our, our time on, but we have to buy wisely from the bazaar of life choices. What are we going to spend it on? Are we going to redeem the time for the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, I think international missionaries are a great example of this. And it's a great uh, example to what we should be doing each and every day. We very much understand the idea of international missionaries making every bit of their life, looking at every bit of their life for how they can connect with someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ. So whether they go down to a market like I described, or whether it be an activity that they're involved in at an international school or whatever school they might have their children in, or whether it just be a, a casual conversation with a neighbor, They are looking for every opportunity. Their eyes are open. They're looking for every opportunity to share the good news of the gospel or build a relationship in order to do so. Guess what? That sort of practice isn't relegated for the four corners of the earth. That's exactly what we should be doing in every bit of our life as well. Whether it's our kids' activities, whether it's our our, our kids' musical events, whether it's mall walking, whether it is sitting having coffee down at the local donut shop, Whatever sort of practice and habit you're in, whatever sort of circle of influence you have, you should be looking for those opportunities to redeem that time for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we do, he says this in verse 6, let your speech always be with grace. Sort of a parallel passage or one that reflects this idea well is actually in verse Ecclesiastes verse 5, 2 through 3. Write that reference down. It won't be on the screen, but I would encourage you to go back and look at this verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 2 through 3. Don't be rash. Do not be rash with your words, and let not your heart utter, utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Yes, we can come with boldness, but we are to be reverent. But look at this as well, when it speaks to words used out there, just in general, right? Verse three, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by as many words. a fool's voice is known by as many words. Are we careful? Are we careful about how we are using our speech? One of the great examples throughout history again, of how words matter and words matter greatly is a is the two great figures of that World War II era, two of those great figures of the World War II era. Uh, Herschel Hobbes, one of our great uh, thinkers, Christian thinkers, wrote this about the difference uh, in the words used by Hitler and by Winston Churchill. Hitler whipped his nation into a frenzy to become a juggernaut of destruction. On the other hand, Churchill armed with eloquent, measured words, lifted his nation from the ashes and debris of defeat to go on to victory. His words mattered greatly. In the same way, in those relationships, those circles of influence that we have where we're always looking for an opportunity, we always have to make sure that we are watching our speech, that it is speech of grace. What does it mean to have speech of grace? Kind words kind words, wholesome words, wholesome words, those words that build others up and don't tear down. That's also a biblical word, edifying, kind, wholesome, edifying words, purposeful words, encouraging words. Are we speaking with grace? And are those words of grace, are they seasoned with salt? You know, to the great uses of salt, one of them is still in great use today, and the other one not so much, the first one being purifying effect. Although people do salt their meat, still some today, we know that that was the primary uh, method of meat preparation or preservation, excuse me, in the first century, is that they would coat them in salt. And so what it did is it would purify the effect of a world of decay. And That's exactly what our speech is to do. Is to purify the world and purify those circles of influence around us. And it was also, we know salt is also something that makes something wholesome and appealing to the taste. I love salt probably more than I should. And I, in fact, love a thing called Tony Sheshery's seasoning salt. Does anybody ever use Tony Sheshery's seasoning salt? Those who have ever eaten with me are laughing because they know I'm like, and I've, I've unfortunately influenced my kids so negatively because we put it like on everything. I'm surprised we don't put it on desserts too. Tony Shesharice, it's like a Louisiana Cajun seasoning salt. Put on everything because it's so flavorful. It's so flavorful. And that's exactly what our speech is to be. Not only that preserves against decay in the midst of our circles of influence, but something, a speech that is to make the, the very life of Christ and living for Christ wholesome and appealing. Saying that that person, they're different. I feel like I'm so mired in negativity all the time. But that person that says they follow Jesus Christ, they're different. There's something different about them. And as we do, as we walk uh, in wisdom towards those who are outside, as we are redeeming the time and as we are letting our speech be seasoned with grace, wholesome, kind, purposeful, edifying, and appealing, and making sure that it is seasoned with salt, what happens? We know at that point, it says that we may know how we ought to answer each one, how we ought to answer the lost person that says there is something different about you. Finally, let me end with this as we think about words that matter and as we think about how we know how we ought to answer each one. You will have an opportunity. You will, if you pray with expectation, you will have an opportunity to share Jesus with the lost. If you pray with persistence, if you pray with an open door, and if you speak the words of grace, you will, you will have an opportunity. Let's pray. Lord God, I know at times for some of us it can seem so distant to think, God, how could you use me? And I know lost people in my life, but it seems like such a bridge too far. But God, may we start with this very simple understanding that words in different, different manifestations in our life really matter. Whether it be persistent prayer for just all of our life that may, we may follow you uh, more diligently and we reflect Jesus Christ, whether it's we pray for an open door that we know you want to give, or whether it be focusing upon our words around those that are lost. Or God, may we know that you, that that, that words matter and we know that you will use us as you open a door. God, as we again leave in just a few moments and we go out into the mission field during this Christmas season, may we look for those opportunities to say, you know what this season's about? You know why we celebrate? Do you know what's significant about this time? And God, would you give us the courage to do so? In Christ's name we pray, amen.